0: Nobody on the playoffs to Murphy. Left hand batter strike three call to the knees and right down the middle of the plate, but down Murphy sometimes go
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of the Audibot podcast. My name is Justin Viber and as always, I'm joined by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. And uh, this episode's going to be a little unique. We're going to be talking about some results that I found when I tried to pull the keeper results across all Fangraphs points leagues, this off post keeper deadline, and the inflation numbers that I saw in the surplus calculator for those leagues. I've done this in the past. I had posted it on Rotographs. I think the last one was a couple of years ago, and it was basically my attempt at looking at from an overall standpoint, does inflation and auto new leagues get higher as those leagues get older? If, if that's always true, or if there's like an inflection point where there's a plateau and inflation sorts starts to stabilize. So I wanted to look at those numbers again this year after the 2020 season and the results were surprising, very surprising. To give some context, I actually updated these numbers through the end of 2019, but I didn't post them. So I'm just going to briefly list out what those numbers were and then talk about what I saw in this most current batch of numbers that I grabbed and how much they differ. So the last time I looked at this a couple years ago, the typical second year, the, t- the league going into their second year for Fangraph's points had negative half a percent inflation. So basically no inflation. Third year leagues had 12 percent. Fourth year leagues had 15 percent inflation. And then fifth year and older, I sort of batched those all together were about 20.7 percent inflation. And those numbers, when I've looked at those in the past, they kind of make sense to me. And it's it, it fits what I was seeing in my leagues where it, as the league gets older, it does, the inflation does go up. I do think once you get to seventh, eighth or ninth year, it does start to, to stabilize and hit a plateau. I didn't break out beyond the fifth year here, but that's, that's what I've seen.
2: And, and I think Niv and I can speak a little bit to just that in general, having been in. Well, league you've got one, the best
1: example, right? right? We've been,
2: in, we've been going it for 15 years and I don't think I've seen that league doesn't behave meaningfully differently to me than even like a fifth year league. Right, right, and maybe there's a little bit more inflation there, maybe, but not that I've seen, and and not enough that it's changing the way I'm behaving. Right, the difference between a second year league and a fifth year league changes the way I act in an yeah. auction. It has to, and the way I value trades and all that stuff. A fifth year league to a fifteenth year league or seventeenth year league or whatever number we're on now, Niv. Do you know what number it is? <laughs> I don't, but whatever number uh, yeah, it is
0: like that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's, it certainly has seemed to plateau and I, pl- plateau might be the wrong word because it's peaks and
0: valleys. I think, but... right. I think there's a ceiling. I think well, that a also, that's of a what I was going to ask is, is whether you've
1: seen it sort of oscillate where it, it goes, it, it, it has a little mini peak and then it, it has a trough
2: and then it peaks and troughs. I mean, yeah, would you I, say think that the, that's... I think the behavior, I, the behavior, I think I see and I haven't an- analyzed it the way that you do Justin. And so I'm, 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 I'm trying to be a little bit cautious in, in making, broad statements here. But I think the behavior I've seen is you get these peaks of inflation where everyone's super expensive, which causes everyone to sort of keep more guys, right? Back off of their cuts, not be so aggressive about getting rid of players, which then causes the inflation to come down a little bit, which then causes people to cut more guys the next year. Right. And so it creates this little back and forth. But I think it it wavers Again, I'm not. This isn't a measurement. This is a guess. I'm guessing it wavers between like 25 and 35 percent, or maybe 20 and 35 percent, not between 5 percent and 50 percent, right? Yeah, it's
0: not like a wild uh, variance there.
1: And I would say that matches what what my sort of gut instinct is telling me now after looking at all this. That there is a point, whether that's the fifth or sixth year, where you kind of hit the peak that the inflation is ever going to get in that league, and then it's just sort of waivers around that point for for
0: at that point you have enough of a history in the league that you start having a feel for what different teams are trying to accomplish like especially if you have a little continuity there and like what kind of and like what like oh I cut this guy and he went for this much more at auction and like then you have a you can have a frank conversation about like well was there a trade available there that I didn't really consider and like those kinds of dynamics like I think they feed into the the overall thing that chad described which i think is totally right like the okay the like when i see a 60 Bryce harper now i'm keeping like 45 50 outfielders maybe and that drives things up and then then there's no money available and like right. oh, you get all these values right
1: yeah yeah well because I, I think that's exactly it you get to a point where you know inflation gets to 25 percent you you cut, the, some, you cut some players that now you realize oh i should have kept them at the end of the day inflation
0: like, the amount of money in the system is static So it can't go forever because it's not like you have more money in your budget.
1: Correct. I mean, there is an an upward limit, but that limit is based on how much overall surplus there could be in a league and if everyone keeps only those surplus assets. Um, And that's why I've said like when you look at the surplus calculator pre-keeper deadline, the The surplus calculator is going to make the assumption that every literally every surplus asset, according to the surplus calculator, is capped, and then it'll spit out an inflation number. And I've always said that's sort of like that's the highest the inflation could be in that particular league because that's right. that's really that's all the surplus that it's probably perfect, exists.
0: Per- perfect decisions per. I'm right. putting perfect in quotes.
1: Yeah, with all the caveats about it doesn't value prospects or young breakout guy, you know, anybody that that's a projection buster or anything like that. But so anyway, so so that's the old data which all made sense to me the new data for just this <laughs> all all
0: made sense
1: is is much w- different second year leagues fangraph and again this is all fangraphs i pull every fangraphs points league and i only looked at leagues that had 12 legal rosters so if there was a league where a team didn't make their cuts or if there was a couple a couple of teams that didn't make their cuts i excluded them from this analysis so that's not affecting these numbers that i'm about to to state Second-year Fangraphs Points Leagues this offseason had, per the surplus calculator values, negative 14% inflation. Third-year leagues, negative 3%. Fourth-year leagues, negative 2.5%. Fifth-year and older, 1.5% inflation. So across the board, basically those numbers are about 15 to 20% lower at each of those buckets than I see for the entire 2016 to 2019 range of of
2: data that I have. and just to add some context to that. I mean, if if I'm as I listen to those numbers, third year, fourth year, fifth year leagues, those are all close enough together to me and close enough to zero to me that it's effectively saying there's just not inflation in those leagues. Those second year leagues, though, what that means is if if Mike Trout was a sixty dollars player in year one, was actually worth sixty dollars in year one, in year two, you should expect to get him for something like fifty two. <laughs> That's what that means. And if you really believe this, and and we're going to have a whole conversation about this, but if you really take that inflation number, that deflation number at face value, it means that every player should cost 14 to 15% less in year two than they did in year one for leagues that are going into their second year right now. I don't think that's what you're going to see play out. We're going to talk about that more later, but that is what that number means. Is that right?
1: Right. And that's, yes. (laughs) So the whole point is that if, If everything is correct, if you're tying your auction strategy to how you're calculating inflation with either the default surplus calculator values or if you've loaded in your own or what have you, yeah, that would suggest that there should be deals at auction at prices even less than a first-year auction. And we're going to get to, in just a few minutes, why that assumption is wrong. I think what we're seeing in drafts (laughs) is not actually matching that. And that's why we're doing this episode. We want to talk about what, why, why is are, are these inflation numbers so low? Why is that not actually what we're seeing in, in the auctions that we've been in and, and we've heard from other people like on Slack and, and what does it all mean? Now, it's not just inflation that's lower. I also, when I do this analysis, I also look at the number of keepers kept per league on average, the amount of salary kept per league on average. So I want to add that context as well. So in this most recent off season, all leagues kept 200 on average, 298 players in this 2016 to the, the four years of data I have before this, the average league kept 292. It doesn't sound like a lot, but six additional players per league. It, I It's, it's not a, a large increase, but when you figure that those additional six players are probably the ones that had the least amount of surplus, right? Because Everyone's going to keep their, their highest surplus players and then kind of go down the board and then their, their judgment calls are the guys that are right on the line. So if you're keeping a, for a whole league, those additional six players are probably not very good assets. And I think that's what's um, keeping more players that aren't worth keeping is what's driving down inflation. The salary kept, the old data, the 2016 to 2019 data, the average league kept $3,337 in salary. This offseason, that number is 3479 That's an increase of an additional $140 plus per league in salary capped. So it's not just, I think I think there's a number of effects here. Number one, I think there was just less surplus to be had this offseason because of the short 2020, because of the effect of, that that had on projections and, and there was no minor league season. I mean, we, we've talked about some of these things before. So I think number one, there was less surplus to be had which was going to drive down inflation. Number two, the reaction to there being less surplus wasn't keep fewer players. It was actually keep even more players and keep even more players at even higher prices. So I think that's why the surplus calculator is seeing inflation numbers drastically lower than they have been in the past. But (laughs) given that we've had some information, I've been in one auction already. I've run a handful that I've, I've, was having some discussions with some people on Slack where they talked about what they're seeing in their leagues. And I've looked at those league draft results and sort of looked at the players in that draft, how they went compared to what the surplus calculator had their, their value at. And all those leagues had actual real inflation during the draft, meaning the prices during the draft were higher than the surplus calculator dollar values. And it didn't seem like there were a lot of deals to be had, even though most of these leagues were in this, batch of leagues that had negative inflation, according to the surplus calculator. And that's part of what we're going to now riff off of is why do we think that is? The surplus calculator thinks these leagues are kept too many players and there's negative inflation. But why aren't we seeing that as far as actual draft behavior? Chad, I know you you had some a bunch of notes for this. So I wanted to to give you an opportunity to start going through those.
2: Yeah, and I think that the place to start with this, and it's we've talked about this in some of the previous episodes, and I know you guys have seen some of the same thing, but the, the narratives are strong this year, more so than they are most years, right? So every year, and let's be clear, every year, people can make up their own narratives, right? Anybody can say, yeah, this guy was hurt, yeah, this guy was this, this guy was that, whatever. But in most years, you take a hitter, you got 600 plate appearances of data, you take a pitcher, you got 180, 200 innings of data. And you narrow that field of acceptable excuses you can make for bad performance or, or ways you can write off breakout performance. And so you end up with a lot more consistent narratives. This year, with 2020 being so short, I, I think people are still behaving sort of internally consistently, or at least as internally consistently as they ever do, right? People are not internally consistent, which we know. But I think they're still behaving generally the same way they would from that regard. But you're getting less groupthink. Like it's easier to have one person say 2020 was so short and so weird with COVID, and there's so much strangeness going on. I'm throwing it out. It's literally meaningless, and it's really easy for someone else to say a season's a season. And I know it's only 60 games, but if guys spent the off season retooling swings, changing their pitch mix, whatever, we've got new data and we should use it. And then you're going to get everything in between, which is, you know, some, someone's going to say, I'm only looking at plate discipline data for hitters because I know that that stabilizes quickly. Or I'm only looking at stat casts because I think that measures an underlying skill. Or I'm only looking at pitch velocity or pitch mix or new pitches or whatever. And if everybody makes takes their own angle on that, what you end up with is almost every player in baseball, there is some narrative that will tell you they're a better value than they appear to be.
0: And you only need two people in any league in right. the off season, you don't even need two; or, or you or need one. One, or or keep one keep. really. But right. right, but but really, when we're talking about the the combined picture of keeps plus auction draft yeah. behavior, you only need uh, one point five people. Let's say <laughs> <laughs> a half <laughs> but, person. If you well, somebody in half, look, man, it's uh, <laughs> trying to speak in a term that the robot can understand over here. <laughs> but so, right, but you need you need two people in the draft and one person in the off season. To, to do exactly what Chad just said, right? Yeah, and I think I think what ends up happening is if you
2: look at a bunch of guys who are kept who don't have surplus, according to the surplus calculator, right, based on projections, and you've got guys like Jake Cronenworth, who was a breakout, but who projections haven't really moved far on. You've got a guy like Christian Yelich whose projections I think are down a little bit from last year, but not a ton. All it takes is one person in the offseason to say in December... I think Cronenworth's breakout was real, and it doesn't even matter if that person currently has Cronenworth on their roster, because they can go trade for them. And same thing with Yelich. It takes one person to say, I'm ignoring 2020 for Yelich, right? Cronenworth's breakout was real. Yelich was a fluke. I'm going out and buy, right? You need one owner thinking each of those things. They could trade Cronenworth for Yelich, right? It's like, you can make, and this gets really easy, especially because... It's also possible on the other end of the thing, right? The, the person who had Yelich and was super frustrated with them is also likely to be the kind of person who's like, that was super frustrating. I'm super worried. I don't want that to happen again. And I, and I can tell you, like, I went through that. I have Yelich on my roster in League 13, one of the Fangraph staff leagues. And I have him somewhere in the 40s. I can't remember where. And at the start of the offseason, I was asking people like, oh, would you trade him for this like B prospect? And people were like, why would you make that trade? This doesn't make any sense. I was like, he was terrible this year. And I had been super frustrated with him all season. He was supposed to carry my offense. And I missed winning that league in part because he didn't. And by the end of the offseason, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm rethinking this. I Like, I, I'm keeping Yelich." And so I ended up keeping him I, partially because I couldn't get value for him on the trade market. Right. And so I ended up deciding, fine, forget it. I'll keep it. But like, I've been through both ends of that spectrum. And the reality is had somebody at the beginning of the offseason season offered me 80% value for Yelich, I would have made the deal. And then they would have been thrilled and I would have been thrilled. And I'd still be sitting here thinking that he wasn't very good last year. And they'd be still sitting there thinking he was great last year. And that's, or that last year didn't matter. And that would be it. And so I think what you end up with is with that narrative, it's easy to find those six extra players per league to switch teams if they need to, to get kept and throw things off.
1: Yeah, and I think we've we've talked about this other aspect of it as well. I think there's also an effect where there are a lot of d- leagues were drafting in June last year, right? Well, after the season was delayed, and we only had a few months of the season, and there was no minor league season, so like this off season, you have the least amount of time and game data between last market auto new auction market and this auto new auction market, so it feels like. It, a lot of decisions are being made. Like, I was willing to spend $35 on this player last year, uh, $37, I'll keep, you know, it's the same decision that I'm making, basically. I'm just making it again because nothing really changed. And I think that that's had an effect as well. Like, you know, even in your, in the case of your Yelich, like you were frustrated with Yelich, but I'm sure there's there are other auto new managers who said, I won him at auction last year. I believed in him. And even though he had a bad 2020, I'm willing to throw it out and say, well, I'm just making the same decision again because I still like this player. And I think that would also explain why there were more players kept because there's just a lot fewer players that I think people were willing to move off of and say, nope, now they're too expensive because how much time has really passed since the last time they made a decision at auction or early in in the season to make a waiver claim? Since those players were added at the price that they're currently at now. Yeah, there's arbitration. So if somebody attracted $15 of arbitration, but normally those aren't the players that we're talking about, right? Those are the young players that have no doubt surplus that got the, the arbitration money. So I, it's, it's the other thing I want to, I want to say before we get too much further into the weeds here is one of the reasons I w- we wanted to talk about this is to say what actionable information comes out of this right now. When I've talked about this on Slack, I've said that leagues are seeing a lot lower inflation than I expected. And I've sort of implied that the strategy then would be you're in a good place if you have a lot of money in your auction because you can take advantage of that deflation or low inflation. I still think that that's generally true. But at the same time, I think that I wouldn't be taking seriously those inflation numbers on the surplus calculator. I wouldn't necessarily... Look at, like, let's say the first player up for auction goes and the surplus calc says that their inflated value because there's deflation is less than, let's say they're worth $35. The bidding's up to 34 and you go, well, that's too high because there's deflation in this league. Well, no, I think you should still at the very least probably bid anybody up to what your normal max bid would be for them if it was a first year league. Don't go any lower than that because I don't think that any player meaningfully should go for less than they would otherwise go in a first-year league. It's just that if the money's not there because there's true deflation, they might go for less. And the whole point of tracking inflation and deflation during your auction is so that you don't spend more than you have to. If there's a $35 outfielder and he goes for for 35 because you think that's where his price should be, but then there's other equivalent outfielders that all go for $30, you've spent $5 more than you needed to. So that's... The reason why it's useful to to account for inflation during your auction is so that you're not spending more than you need to. But if we're presuming that some of these numbers are just weird and not actionable, then I would say just if the surplus calculator or your own dollar value show that there's deflation in your league, I would ignore it. Still, don't ever use deflation to adjust your auction prices at that point. Just pretend it's a first year league. And then even then, I think Chad has a point about scarcity, right? That even then there's still inflation because there's not 50 top 50 starting pitchers available, right? Like there would be in a first year league, there's many fewer than that in in any of these returning leagues.
2: Yeah, I think that's for sure true and I think, you know, inflation is not linear, right? I think we we talk about a league having 20% inflation My experience is that that doesn't mean that every player is inflated 20%. In general, what that means is the guys at the very top, the trouts and the Garrett Cole's and the DeGroms and the Sotos are inflated more than that. And the guys at the bottom are deflated or inflated less than that. Right. And so, you know, a $50, a let let's say a $50 value on a top-tier outfielder and 20% inflation is going to go for more than $60. All right. And that's how you end up with these like $85 trouts in a lot of these leagues. It's not because he's getting inflated 20% to $85, he's getting inflated 40% to $85. But then a bunch of other players aren't getting that same inflation. And I think what I expected to see this year, well, let me talk a little bit about scarcity. So what what I'm then seeing is, the reason I think that happens is because at the top, there is scarcity, right? If I want a $15 outfielder, I can find a bunch of $15 outfielders. And if they're all inflated to $18 to $20, I can I can sort of wait until I find the one I want who's more like sixteen or seventeen dollars instead of eighteen or twenty dollars. Like you can find ways to play that, play that out. If you need an $80 or a $60 outfielder, a top tier outfielder, you don't have you don't have five choices to pick from, right? You got to take the one who's available. And so that drives up, that scarcity drives up inflation. This six extra guys being kept in every league, if one or two of those guys are a Yelich who otherwise would have gotten dropped, a Scherzer who otherwise would have gotten dropped. You are driving up that scarcity significantly. And so like I'm looking at a lot of my leagues and yeah, keeping a $55 Scherzer might have driven down inflation and caused deflation. But it also means that there's one less ace out there. And if you want an ace... You're going to pay up what you need to pay up to get that ace, or you're going to have to pivot and decide you're going to live without an ace. And and so what I was expecting when I first saw the numbers of 0% or slightly negative inflation was pretty typical 20-ish percent inflation on the studs because scarcity was going to drive that up. And then in like the mid-tiers, you would start to see that deflation come into play. What I've seen in practice has not been that. What I've seen in practice is the scarcity is driving up those prices at the top, just like I expected. But the scarcity isn't really going away as I go down the tiers. I'm not seeing as many of those mid-tier guys I'm interested in as I used to. And I think that's probably driven by couple things one more guys being kept but the other to to justin's point before the the lack of data between last auction and this auction means the guys i thought were sleepers last auction are still the guys i think are sleepers this auction and a lot of those guys are being kept because somebody else thought they were a sleeper last year and either i got them and i'm still very happy with them or that person got them and they're still very happy with them and so i'm looking at that mid-tier and it's it's mostly guys I wasn't super excited about last year, and so I'm still mostly not that excited about them this year. And that then that's a different form of scarcity, right? There's, a, there's five $15 outfielders available, but they're all the $15 outfielders I don't like and that I don't really think are worth the $15. And, and so it, it's, and my guess is there are other people feeling the same way. And so you end up with this weird situation where you don't really get to those deflated values until you get down way at the bottom of the player pool. And a $3 player deflated even by 75%, 66%, I guess is the most they can be deflated. Like, yeah, you got them for $1 instead of $3, maybe. But realistically, it's somebody who thought they're a $3 player isn't thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm sort of tight on cash right now. I can't go to $3 unless they're out of money. They're still going to go to $3 on that guy. and So those guys aren't really getting deflated much, if at all. And so they go to $2 instead of three, but you're not looking at the end of the draft and thinking, yeah, I spent a little bit more on my $15 and $30 and $40 guys, but I got a bunch of $2 guys for one or $3 guys for two. I got good value. Like that's not where value comes from. So I'm finding that there's just, even as I move down, there's no there's no great values there. Not what I was expecting, not different than most years, maybe even less than most years.
1: Yeah, and I think – so I want to I go back to the point you made about if, if inflation is truly – the effects of inflation are higher in the top tier. My argument has always been that then your value curve that's driving your inflation figures is not steep enough. That the top end should probably be at higher prices so that your inflation becomes linear during a draft. In, in my experience, when I've looked, because I've done a lot of this where I've tracked in prior years, not this year, this is a, a weird year, but in prior years, I've tracked the inflation that I had based on my own values in the surplus calculator and tracked that against the prices I've seen at auction. I don't think I've meaningfully seen any difference between top end, middle end, low end, maybe slightly, maybe slightly on the high end. And then about normal on the middle and then more values on the bottom, but not, maybe not as drastic as you're suggesting, sh- suggesting, but I think if that's ha- and I think it is happening more this year, that that, that is more true this year than it has been in any prior year, which says to me a couple of things. Number one, I think <laughs> I should work on having steeper prices on the surplus calc right now, because I think that my entire intention is not to have the surplus calculator dollars predict auction prices, but to have the general shape of those values match auction behavior. And I don't think that's happening right now. So that's number one. Number two, though, is this idea of, you have a player pool, right? We have X number of players in your auto new league. We're drafting tonight for 1199. There are X number of players that we believe are useful and worth $2 or more. Let's say $2 is where we set above replacement level. That's X number of players. That X number of players I think are valuable are not going to be the same players that Chad thinks are valuable in a normal year though. Maybe those player pools for each of us are 90% similar, but in this year with all this strangeness, I'd argue it's like 75% similar. So what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of players that the surplus Calc or, my own values think are worth seven, eight, nine, or ten that aren't getting drafted. And then there are a lot of players who I don't think are worth rostering that are being won at auction for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars. Now that always happens, but I feel like it's happening more now because of all this uncertainty we're talking about. And if that's true, that's another reason to increase the steepness of your pricing curve because there's more certainty. Mike Trout is Mike Trout, right? No one, Nobody thinks that Mike Trout isn't part of their player pool. Nobody thinks that Christian Yelich isn't part of their playing pool. But when you start talking about these other guys that are like $5 guys, half the league might not think that they're rosterable. And I think that effect is greater this, this offseason than it has been in any other year because of all this uncertainty with the short season and projections.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's just... I don't think it's just disagreement between like you and I or any two managers in their their player pool. I think that the projections, right? The projections are driving these values in surplus calculator and I think the projections are just less valuable this year than they've ever been. And so I'm less confident in them than I have been before. The data's thin, right? We had 60 games last year and and every Every one of the projection systems had to, or the not the systems themselves—they don't answer questions. The people who create the projection systems are right, answering right. questions all off-season about how did you structure this, how did you use this, what did you do differently. And, and I think the example that came up on the the starting pitcher episode that I think just dropped is Zach Plesac. Who completely like he shows up as as not being rosterable according to depth charts projections, and and with all due respect to Zips and Steamer, that's absurd. He is absolutely rosterable, right? Now we can argue about whether he's a twenty dollar pitcher or a five dollar pitcher or whatever. Like I know Eno had him really high up. Fine, but like he's not a zero dollar pitcher. And part of the issue is he changed his pitch mix, so. Eno pointed out the bat hasn't ranked as like a top thirty starter, whereas depth charts has off the off the list. If and I, if the bat is saying, "Hey, new pitch mix," I'm going to assume that what he did last year is fundamentally different than the past. And Zips and Steamer are saying, "I'm looking at you know a three year track record, and yeah, he had a great year last year, but it was 60 games, and what does that really matter?"
0: That's a function of the bat using Statcast data, right? Like the bat is the only one that. To be fair, that
1: would, they don't use I uh, I don't believe that the, there's the bat and then the bat axe. the, bat axe, the bad I think axe right is now is just, only in that, but that's only hitters, only right? Hitters. now. Only
0: hitters. I see. And,
1: so, and Steamer and Zips do use StatCast. Cause I yeah. saw a tweet from, I knew Steamer did, but Dan Zimborski had tweeted when this came up on Twitter the other day, that Zips also does use StatCast data. So I don't know. I
2: don't know what's how, driving the difference, but I'm not, I, I think it's, it's less about what's driving it versus what the fact that there is a difference And so I think that, you know, if somebody was using the bat as their values instead of depth charts, they get a very different value on a guy like Plesak. And the reality is, I'm not sure I trust either of them. Right. Because it's just, we have such limited data. And so any pitcher who I look at who changed their pitch mix, who had new velocity, who, I don't know, anything like that, who changed a grip, any hitter who tried out a new stance, any hitter who had a big change in their plate discipline, Like I don't know how much to trust the projections this year. And, and my guess is, and I think Pat brought this up on Slack, and I think it was a really good point, projections, like any computer projection is by its nature going to be conservative. And it's going to regress players towards the mean somewhat. And if they have less data, they're going to be more conservative. And if this, And if what's happening is less data is resulting in more players regressing to where they were projected a year ago, then you're going to get a tighter player pool. You're going to get less differentiation in the player pool, which means you're going to get less differentiation in the values and surplus calculator, which is going to screw up any inflation calculation because you're not looking at it. You're not looking at the shape of the player pool right. that you would have in past years.
1: Yes, and and I would agree with that. And I would say, again, that's yet another argument that the value curves that if I'm pricing dollar values for Audenu, that I would strongly consider having a steeper uh, curve, having fewer players at my baseline level or above, and which would then create, you know, trout wouldn't be $70. He'd be $77. And the $40 player would be 44. And then the $9 player would be six instead. And I think that that effect would more closely match what we're seeing there. There's just so much more uncertainty on the low end. And I agree you know, the projections, I don't believe that the projections are structurally doing anything wrong. I think that they are just so much less certain and there's so many, so much more uncertainty and variance and, and a wider range of error bars than there would be in a normal season. I mean,
2: yeah, I totally agree with that. It's not I a... mean, I,
1: I'm a pro projections, you know, auto new player. Everybody knows that. But I will readily admit that there's a lot less confidence in those projections. Again, not because I think they're doing anything wrong, but because you're right. There's less data. They're, they have to regress more, right? Because they just don't have, especially like, I mean, how do you, how do you project somebody like Andrew Vaughn right now? Right? Like you, I don't even know how you, other than, than taking the Marcel approach, which has been any rookie gets a league average projection. That's what. Tango Tigers Marcel projections did is it just just assume all rookies are league average because you're going to be as accurate as anything else and there's no you know if this is a quick and dirty way of doing it I feel like that effect is happening across the board right now with with all the projections that you're right there's more of an anchoring point to either what they were before or on these players that have limited data the guys are, were promoted last year there's they're getting pulled way towards league average rather than you know, there being a lot of other data informed. And again, some of that's because there was no minor league season. There's none of that data. And I know most of these projection systems, they use that data as well, right? They're not just looking at major league performance, they're looking at how the minor league performance translates to a big league projection. And you're missing all that data for last year as well. So, yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those things where my role as someone who creates a surplus calculator and talks about inflation and talks about all of these effects. It feels like I've got egg on my face, right? Because it's like, well, there's deflation in these leagues, but if you're not actually seeing that in your draft, then th- what's the point of saying that there's deflation if you're not actually seeing deflation, because otherwise you, you can't use that information. That information might as well just be make-believe because it is because if you're not actually seeing those facts, because the whole point is trying to match your auction behavior to account for that. And like I said, making sure you don't spend more than you need to, well- if you're left waiting for these values that the deflation of your league suggests there should be, you're going to be left with $150 left to spend and nobody to spend it on because you just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And I don't, I don't want anybody to be in that position where they didn't realize quickly enough and and I've always been the one to push back on that, right? There are people on the Slack groups that talk about, you know, you just got to go after the top end guys, spend what you need to spend to get them. That's, that's
0: been... a that's a conversation you and I have had many times. I think like that's a that's a debate you and I go back and forth all the time. And I wonder, I wonder, like just real, like just not to like cut you off, but to like no, 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 it's fine. We're evaluating a little bit about the surplus calculator, right? And I think the question about the pricing curve is something that like I. Historically, I have been really interested in having a, a steeper pricing curve there. I think you and I have talked about like the need to grab, like the certainty of a Mike Trout, that certainty isn't, uh, to, it might be more pronounced in 2021, but your top tier players are always like, that's the reason that they're the top tier players, right? There's a certainty there. I wonder if they're, so let's just put that aside for now. Steeping a, a steeper pricing curve is, Something I think it's interesting and I'd love to hear like if you tweak it, like where you come out, like how how the model then starts reflecting the reality of what you're seeing. I also wonder what other assumptions, because I know there's a few things that we've talked about more recently and also like way back in the before times of about like how much depth you need at each position and how much depth, Major League depth you need, which, you know, we talked about a little bit with Eno yesterday and we we've talked about a little bit i th- i feel like sur- surplus calculator has some assumptions about positional depth in a league right and then there's also assumptions about uh, budget right and how much budget you should keep available and i wonder like i'm just gonna let you go justin because obviously this is your tool and 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 you know it better than anybody but like do you do you want to tweak with those th- those things based I- on this year or is that less interesting in a way, because again, if I'm making a steeper
1: pricing curve, I'm putting fewer players at above replacement level. So I'm having many so more default. players or a dollar, but but it's not because I think that those players, that the the amount of depth that you need, I still believe that, right? You still need a lot more depth than I think a lot of auto new managers appreciate to win your league and to have the flexibility and resiliency to deal with injuries and all these other things that, that come up during a season. You do need quite a bit of depth but if i can get that depth for a dollar and i think that player is worth five i need to know that that player is more likely to be a dollar than five and that's where changing the price curve is going to help me because then i'm not looking at that player and saying Oh, I'm gonna spend five dollars on him when he comes up at the middle of the auction because I think he's worth five dollars. And,
0: and I need to budget for that accordingly. It's
1: all about the opportunity cost of what other players are equivalent to that player that I can get for a dollar. And I think there's a lot more now and and even up to, like I said, eight, nine or ten dollar players that I otherwise would think in a normal year, using my normal range of values, this is a nine dollar player. But if, if that $9 player is available after auction in 50% of leagues, half of leagues don't even think he's a replacement level player. I, I want that information because that's going to inform how likely I am to bid $8 on that player because I wouldn't at that point. I'd try to find somebody equivalent or just wait until later in the auction to find somebody else at a similar price. So I don't think that it the amount of depth you need doesn't change, but what changes is you might be able to get that depth at a cheaper price. So don't spend too much on the back end of your roster put more of your allocation into the top end because and i think that's also what we're seeing that's what the auto new players are doing right now i
2: don't i don't know if i would immediately say spend more on the top end and put less into your back end i think i would spend time looking at your your player pool your available player pool your draft board and figuring out where depth exists that you're comfortable with because i'm looking and I'm going to pull up my draft board right now for 1199, which we're drafting tonight. And I'm going to try to say things without saying anything so that Justin doesn't learn anything he shouldn't learn. But as I look at the the bottom end of the player pool at third base, there's a couple of names that interest me, but nothing that really jumps off the board. And I need a backup third baseman in that league. I've only got one third baseman on my roster. And I think I'm going to be more likely to jump at a third baseman who interests me at a little bit of a higher price than I might otherwise expect than I am in the outfield where I'm seeing a handful of names that I think are going to be in that $1 to $5 range and I'd be okay with any of them. Similarly, like I could use some second base depth and I see a bunch of second basemen that I'm sort of like, okay, I could see this guy, I could see that guy. And so I'm a little bit like, I'm trying to be a little bit more targeted about, okay, if I see a lot of depth at the bottom end of this position where I feel like I could be okay, then it's the top end of that position where I can, I can wait, I can just hold off a little bit. I can let other people spend their money there, especially early on where, I, I mean, look, we the, the deflation data is... The data is there, and what we're what we're seeing that counteracts it is anecdotal right now, and so I am in my drafts interested to see what plays out early. I, I don't think I'm going to necessarily be overly patient. I think if the right value comes up, I'm going to jump at it, but I'm also curious to see like how do different leagues play? Are there like. If everyone in your league is expecting deflation and is slow at the top of the draft, then jump in. And if everyone in your league is like, nah, this deflation is nonsense, stars are stars, then you're still going to get the type of deflation you would have in past years down the bottom of the draft because everybody's going to overspend on those guys at the top. So I'm not quite ready to say that the right reaction to this is to jump out and and fill in the top of your roster. I'm... I'm going to spend. I'm gonna. I'm gonna treat drafts differently, auctions differently this year. My typical strategy in auctions is to start off by nominating guys who I think will get dollars out of the player pool as quickly as possible on guys I don't want, guys I don't like. I've got all my pitching. I'm gonna throw out Scherzer, or I don't really like Strasburg anyways. I think he's gonna go for thirty bucks. Throw him out. I think this year I'm gonna do a lot more throwing out players in different tiers to see what people do. And I may jump on some of those guys if I think they end up at, at values I like, but I may, I'm may i more likely to throw out a third-tier, third-baseman early, not because I'm trying to get dollars out, not because I'm trying to get that guy through cheap, but just to figure out, like, what is everybody, what are the other owners in this league expecting? Are they expecting this guy to be cheap later, or his peers to be cheap later, or are they jumping on him? Because if they're expecting him to be cheap later, then they're going to spend somewhere else. And I, I may jump in on that guy right away. If they're all thinking, no, 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 this guy's, you know, he might only look like he's $7, but I'm willing to pay 10, 12. Then I'm going to go back to my strategy of trying to get dollars out early and wait for those values to crop up.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and that and that's fair. And you you absolutely, I agree with you 100% on sort of identifying the the targets that you have it, it, it's almost like a back backwards first approach to drafting and and you do this a lot in snake drafts too where you're looking at who are the players i can get in the 15th round that i like well then if i'm assuming i can collect these types of positions late then now what positions then does that push towards the the front half of the draft and i agree like it, depending on the the makeup of your roster the 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 available players throughout a certain all the tiers at a certain position yes, you do need to make adjustments to your max bid or what kind of players you're going to be bidding on based on all that. I agree. And I do also agree that it's a good idea to, to go into these auctions, not being as confident in how these prices are going to shake out. Like I have a lot less certainty about how an auction is going to go this year than I might have in years past, because it's hard to know, right? Are we just looking at a few leagues worth of data and it's, it's an anecdotal, and one of those is the Champs League that has a bunch of weird rules that prioritize different things than a normal auto new league does. Yeah, and we might be making too many conclusions. Maybe once we get deeper in draft season, we do see more of that actualized, maybe not deflation, but zero inflation, right? Like more, closer to like a first-year league. Maybe we do see that, but it's something I'm keeping an eye on, and I would just be very careful going into an auction about making any assumptions – about what the actual inflation will be during that auction. Because I think what I'm seeing is you get to the end of like, because I was looking at the, the, the after effects, right? I was going into the surplus calculator, looking at these leagues. They're already drafted. Well, if there's all this dollar value still available, where is it? And it's just like a bunch of players. And you're right, Chad, you were, I, I think you made this point before we started recording. You wanted to talk about the, the fake surplus, the Robbie Ray style fake surplus, right? And I think you're seeing a lot of that. On players that weren't drafted, there's a lot of players that the surplus calc has a six dollars, and even I'm like, who?
2: <laughs> what? The, what? The, the Robbie Ray thing, I think it's worth worth calling. Out. Like Robbie Ray, projections are really good. He strikes out a ton of guys. The projections are regressing the walks and home runs back closer to league average or closer to what he's done in, in sort of his peak. And so his surplus calculator value in in Otter New in Fangraphs points is, I even think it's like double figures. It's high. I got to pull it up real quick. And the reality is like, that is fake surplus. And what I mean by fake surplus is he's not a $13 pitcher, $12 pitcher, whatever it is, it's saying he's not that. And I don't mean that he can't be that or that he definitely won't be that. I just mean, I don't think there's anybody drafting right now. Who's like, Robbie Ray is my number three and I'm super happy with that. And so I'm going to go spend 15 bucks on him. Right. And so when you get him for $3, the surplus calculator looks at that and goes ten dollars of surplus, and it creates inflation based on that, and it's just not accurate. And so, go on. He's twelve fifty on
1: this on the yeah. surplus
2: calculator, and this right is now. not this is not Justin doing something wrong. This isn't the 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 projections doing something wrong. It's just a situation where the data on him that drives the projections hasn't caught up to what people are seeing in his in his performance. And maybe the projections are right and we're all being fools and we are missing out on something here. I I would not be surprised if his max value at auction this year is lower than his surplus calculator value.
1: No, I wouldn't be either. And, and, I, and you're right to point out players like that where now sometimes the surplus calculator and really the projections end up being right. And it looks sort of foolish after the fact, but I think that given all of the things that we've talked about already on this episode i'm i'm usually the person that's going to defend the projections and say nope i'm still using that number i think he's a 12 dollar pitcher i'm i'm moving off of that position more than i ever have this year and we even talked about this a little bit going into last year right like that short season and how how do we base everything knowing that there's going to be a lot of variance in that short season and i think i made the argument that you you double down on the projections on the short season because even though there's a lot of variance you still You need you can't control for that variance, right? Like you can't build a team that you know what which ones are going to overperform in a small sample. But I think this year I I agree with what Chad is saying, that the projections just aren't picking up and aren't as reliable as they would otherwise be. So it's harder to look at a dollar set of dollar values that are driven by those projections and have a lot of confidence in them. And it's something that we've talked about and I've said many times. Small changes in the assumptions and how I build these values, whether it's the pricing curve, whether it's the replacement level baselines, whether it's the hitter-pitcher split, small changes to those assumptions have big difference, can can cause big differences in the in the resultant prices. So it's I've said it before and I'll say it again until I'm blue in the face. Putting together dollar values is more of an art than a science. Like you're making assumptions and you want those assumptions to be valid. I feel like this offseason, a lot of those assumptions aren't as valid as they have been. I'm going to be strongly considering changing some of those assumptions to not to overreact to what we're seeing with the drafts and everything else, but to maybe maybe this whole time I've been underappreciating how much that certainty of a Mike Trout or the 50, you know, maybe he's not a very good example because he's a $70 player, but those $40 outfielders, maybe I've been underappreciating appreciating how much value they really have because of that certainty. And maybe that I'm just now realizing it more specifically because of everything going on this off season. So I think, (laughs) I think I'm going to make some of those changes because I think that there is a real effect there beyond just what's happening in this, in this wild and woolly off season. So anything else we want to cover with this? I mean, we,
2: so just to, just to throw something out there for you as you're thinking about the future and, and I don't know how easy this would be to do. And so I apologize if I'm asking to do something impossible, but I'm going to ask anyways. The projection systems don't, as I understand it, most of them don't just spit out a value, right? The value is based on probabilistic outcomes, which means that they know what a 25th versus a 75th percentile outcome is, or they have a projection of what that would be. I'd be super interested to see price ranges for players based on that. Now, I don't know that all the projection systems publish that data, and I'm not sure how easy it is to consume, and, and it may not really be feasible. But I, I think one of the things, we, we when we've talked about these these assumptions, move things around, the easiest way to show how how varied I think some of that can be is to point out that a projection system, looking at this guy and saying, he's going to have a 340 WOBA, is also thinking, yeah, there's a decent chance it'll be 310. There's even ch- there's a chance it'll be 370. I don't really know. And when you look at those ranges, you're going to start to see a 25th to 75th percentile that could go from, you know, a $30 player could be a $10 player or a $60 player.
0: That's that's the Pocoda way, right? That's Well, and
1: that's what I was going to say. Pocoda I think is the only one that publishes some of that that percentile data. I think they all do use something similar and they're just presenting a weighted mean of those results and that's the one you know, point estimate they're giving for for their projections that they publish. The other way to do this, and I've thought about this before, is you you wouldn't necessarily even need to do it on a per projection per percentile basis. You could just do it based on, and we were sort of inspired by the conversation we had with Eno where he was talking about, well, the bat has this pitcher as a top 30 pitcher and depth charts has more like a top 60. Well, you could do that as well. I could show a price and say, okay, outfielder X per steamer is $30 per the bat is $21. And then you can see, and I love that there there are going to be players that are zero 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 fifteen, 15, right. And then there's other players that are six, seven, seven, six. They may all average out to the same dollar value if you took all four systems, but that shape and that, that variance from high to low values is going to be much different.
2: I would love, love, love to see that, to see a, a, spreadsheet that shows every player across ATC, Steamer, Zips, and the Bat, and the Bat-X, why not? You can throw Pakoda in there if you want to. I don't know. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy with it. But I think getting like three or four systems and, and spitting out values for players and showing that range, ah, man, it would be super, super interesting. Yeah,
1: I could definitely do that. And I think I could structure that with the spreadsheets that I already use to create surplus calculator dollar values. That's but, really
0: close to the analysis that Ariel Cohen does on fan Graphs, right? Where he uses the game theory to sort of, if backwards, you, depending on which projection system you use and what we projected each player's price to be at right. each projection system, yeah, he's who doing would it, do
1: the best? Right. He's doing it from a sense of, of right, of trying to back of
0: NFBC, into-, backing into But I think there is something there to the idea of like, the starting point for some of these. There there might be a good argument of what Chad just said. a starting point should be given this range of projection systems. Here are the range of prices that we put these players on. Um, It might be a little bit... That might not be exactly what Surplus Calculator can do because Surplus Calculator is really trying to model a league based on sort of a uniform set of prices. And if you pick and choose the best price that you want there, it could really create a messy image or you'd have to force people to pick and choose which prices they want for everyone. But but I think that's a separate tool maybe that Chad is proposing that sits here and says, well, let's really look at what the, what what are these error bars that we keep talking about, right? And this is projections, right? So then there's even value to saying at the end of the season, let's review it and say, here's what everyone put a price at, like what Ariel Cohen does. What well, Here's what everyone's price is. And then here's what the actual production was and, and where, and like, then you can start looking at the shape of like, well, what production, what projection systems do I trust for what kinds of players? And right. when you're trying to yep. evaluate going forward, I don't know. That's like, that's a whole other thing, yeah. but I, but I do wonder if like there's a, just the richness of tools. There's, there's just more to do on this stuff. Right. And it's really, there absolutely is. I it's think
2: one of the fun things that would be that would happen if you did that and put out four different five different whatever it is sets of values is some of the group think that's existing around the surplus calculator would go away right some of the like well this guy i might think he's worth 17 but his value is 15 and so he's a 15 player and we've all agreed he's a 15. like if all of a sudden it's like well actually depth chart says 15 but zip says this and steamer says this and the bat says this and ATC says ATC says this. Then all of a sudden you take a step back and it's like, okay, now everybody has to pick. Right. And and you and some people take the average of them and some people take the highs, and some people take the lows. But I think you'll you'll create there'll be more more of an opportunity for teams and managers to think differently because there'll be more data out there for them to to interpret differently. Which I think would just be a, a generally good thing, and I'm more I mean, about like how that, I would use.
0: But that. that's also the situation that it's put us in this current situation is that so many managers, like this right, is you just pick which, one, you pick your high one, and then it justifies right every... now because that's what's happened this season, right? Like people, but I think that's tingled. a good thing. No, no, it's certainly a good thing. I I'm think not it's saying it's a good bad thing, thing.
2: For, for I'm just leads.
0: saying this is this is reflective of what's happened this year, and if that becomes the norm of information rather than everyone just did whatever narrative they wanted to in 2020 and that's why this is happening and instead it's well this guy likes atc and this guy likes the bat and this guy is using the bat for pitchers and and zips for this other thing you know it's that that's absolutely good because the hive mind thinking about pricing you know which is something justin uh, to his credit constantly is like, please do not think these are gospel prices. But like, we don't, Ill- that's never illustrated, right? That's not illustrated in a real way, other than you have guys in Slack sometimes, or you see the average price, or you see the ticker across the top, and you're like, that gives you pause. And then there's no accounting for that afterward. There's no like, well, who, what worked, what didn't work? There's none of that conversation, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it's,
1: it's less to me about Allowing people to sort of pick and choose which projection system they want to be beholden to or they want to see based on that range. It's more about presenting a range in the first place to drive home that point that really that's how everyone should be thinking about these dollar values. It's never about this guy is exactly an 11.7. I mean, I go out to one decimal point on the surplus calc. It's not that precise. It never has been. It never will be. But to think about it more in terms of a range, and I think doing the sort of project that 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 Chad is suggesting, I think that's one of the the benefits, one of the takeaways from that would be to say, look, the average is still $15, but now you're seeing that even if you just choose a different projection system, you're not even ignoring projections or or doing anything else based on scouting, but just depending on which inputs these projection systems use could be a five dollar player or a twenty-four dollar player. So presenting that range, I think, would be helpful to reinforce to to everyone that plays Autonou that that these are not, you know, they're not single points. They're not defined precise values. They're sort of a midpoint of a range, and we talk about it. You know, we've talked about it through all, all these positional episodes. If you like a guy more than than the projections, you're going to be a little bit higher, and and maybe that's because you just think about a different projection system is 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 more on the case and and better t- in tune to what that player is actually worth. So. It, it's definitely I don't need any more auto new work necessarily, but this is definitely in line with things that I've thought about doing before. I've also talked about the fact that I, I still want to get out there for my Patreon patrons, a dollar value calculator where you can just choose which projection system or combination of projection system you want to use. And then it spits out dollar values that you can then import, copy and paste very easily into the surplus calculator. I still want to get to that. It's a more difficult project than than I even I assumed it would be, but it's still something that's in my list of things to get to. And this would be what Chad was talking about would be very close to that as well, Where you could just run one at a time and then spit out the values and then compare them, have a different sheet where you have all the player pool and then a column for each dollar value can see how they all line up. And, you know, and, and, and again, I think what we're going to see is these players that are left over at the end of a lot of these auctions that the surplus calculator via the depth charge projections have as an $8 player. It's because maybe those other systems all have them as worthless, right? And, you know, not everybody's using those values. I know a lot of people use pacoda A lot of people use baseball HQ projections, you know, Rob Chandler projections. And, you know, there's a lot of different systems out there. I tend to gravitate towards the Fangraph stuff because that's the easiest stuff to output in a format that matches auto and I can, you know, I can link the Fangraph's IDs to the Audenew IDs very easily. So it's a lot easier to export those and use those than to try to do the player matching for for the other systems. So,
0: all right. I think we're probably done. <laughs> there's just a lot. I mean, it's interesting because there's just so many, uh, like, as we talk about Audenew more and more, the ways you can evaluate, like, these are the kinds of tools that we're talking about are like, these are front office tools, right? These are Major League Baseball front office tools that we're talking about. And these and are the... Like the kinds like the these are what front office and a- analytic departments do is like give themselves the range of projections and give themselves 20 different ways of thinking about how their players might produce. And yeah, Justin, I'm not saying be a whole be the all of Auto News front office analytics department, please build us the tools. But I think there's just there's so is, many is that cool, not what he's doing? <laughs> it seems well, like that's what is. he's doing. He's certainly he's certainly doing a, a big chunk of it, but I think you know. It, it, my big takeaway from this episode is that there's there's more to do and and there's a ton there's a ton to think about that like surplus calculator is really capturing a very specific sliver of it that didn't maybe seem like it was obviously like sort of an opinionated sliver of it but it, it's maybe coming out to be a little bit more opinionated a little bit more of a sliver still extremely useful data point, right I don't want to say anything like that that it's not and and the most prominent. Data point that's like widely out there, but I think you know if if anyone's listening to this and is interested in building these kinds of things, don't think that the sur- maybe this is the best way to say it is an end on this. Don't think the surplus calculator has the monopoly on what we're on what what's possible for auto new tooling and for uh, fantasy analysis tooling. I think there's uh, you know a ton of people that make their own spreadsheets, and I know on the forums there's a lot of people asking for even more data that I can make available so that people can do more analytics. And if you are at all have an inkling or of interest of this, we have a tools forum on the community forums, tools topic section, and then we have the tools channel in Slack. And, you know, I would love to see this stuff just keep getting built out and built out because it's just so much fun and so interesting. And and like Chad said, it only makes the game richer, I think, because it, it just allows you to have like a little bit more like variety and thinking this stuff but it's it's really interesting and i and i want to give justin props uh for being like we don't have a ton of data yet and you're already sort of like trying to trying to self self-analyze and try to improve the tool so that's that's awesome man
1: yeah i mean that's just that's part of what i <laughs> that, that's, that's my what you want out right of it. right uh, yeah because
0: at the end of the day you just want to be good at your leagues right so we got to make sure that you have the right data for that stuff
1: yep yeah. All right. Now this episode was, was less sort of a uh, specific player analysis or strategy analysis and more meta analysis. So hopefully it was still interesting to everybody, but we are, or we're going to continue next week. We're going to do some more of our positional preview series. We will, I do think we're planning on having an episode for auction strategy. I think I will probably put the call out on our Twitter account at Autobot Pod if there's any questions that we can answer during that auction strategy podcast episode. So keep an eye on that. Probably this week I'll post something and we can start collecting some some questions so that we can we can drive a discussion on on, on that episode. So all right, we'll wrap this up. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.